Hello and welcome to a more perfect podcast. Today I'm going to be interviewing a photojournalist all the way from Ukraine, where Ukrainians have been fighting a valiant war against Russian invading forces for a week straight. The Ukrainians' courage has inspired the entire world as the Ukrainians hold back the Russian invaders, making them pay severely for every inch of Ukraine. With me today is Alex Lurie, a photojournalist who has been to conflicts all over the world, including Iraq and Syria, as well as the riots and civil unrest which overtook the United States in 2020. His work has been featured in prominent publications such as The Rolling Stone, The Atlantic, and Time Magazine. His website and Instagram will be featured in the podcast description if you're interested in his amazing and I really do mean it, amazing photojournalism. If you like this interview, I encourage you to buy a subscription to Surfshark VPN, the sponsor of this show. You can get two free months and 82% off with the link in my podcast description. Without further ado, coming on the show all the way from Ukraine is Alex Lurie. So, Alex, you have been on the ground in Ukraine for how long now? So I landed in Ukraine, if I'm not mistaken, the 1st of February. It was, I'm almost sure it was the 1st of February, give or take a day, you know, but basically the very beginning of February, basically like a month, exactly, just a month and change, a month and a day, something like that. I've been here. Okay, so you were in Ukraine before the invasion. So before we start talking about the war that's going on right now. What was the feeling of the Ukrainian people and, you know, the soldiers before the invasion? Did, did anyone anticipate that this was going to happen or was everybody like shocked when the Russian troops finally crossed into Ukraine? Well, so that's that's an important point. And um, the invasion, th- this current invasion, um, of course, happened uh, the l- early morning of the 24th. Uh, uh, just after midnight on the on February 24th. Um, but it's important to remember that Russia has been occupying parts of Ukraine and has invaded Ukraine since 2014, uh, Crimea and in the Donbass region out east. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uniformed personnel of the Russian Federation uh, have have been doing that and they've been here for eight years. And when I say here, I mean I mean Ukraine, obviously not not this close to Kiev. Um, so that sheds uh, a little bit of light on the Ukrainian mentality. You know, it's it's they've been in this sort of frozen conflict for eight years. Yeah. Up until a, a week a week ago, and um, they have a very large, hostile neighbor. But you can't maintain a state of panic or heightened concern indefinitely. You know, it's sooner or later that becomes a fact of life. And even for even for us journalists who were um, here for three weeks or so, we we were kind of getting jaded. Be like, all right, is this you know? Let's start thinking about you know getting the flight back home. This looks like it was a big bluff. And you know, if we're doing that, then then imagine having it be an eight year long ordeal and having and having the stakes be be a lot higher. Like you know, if 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 the stakes were higher, and if you're like, okay, if there's gonna be an invasion, I have to get my whole family out of here, my pets, you know, my job is over. Like you know, it's you can't be thinking about that every day. Exactly. And um, I don't want to say complacency, but it's 
It's what it's similar to what I've heard people say, you know, the Taiwanese or the South Koreans feel like it's like, you know, uh, the American 24 hour news cycle has to, you know, constantly be talking about these threats. But like for a South Korean or a Taiwanese or Ukrainian, like how can, you can't panic every day. You can't panic every day like uh, an American news consumer panics every day. Gotcha. <laughs> and I would say, you know, everybody. The most important thing I, I will say is that everybody's different. Everybody's an individual. And I, there's nothing that entitles me to speak for uh, 40 million people who live in a country that I'm not from. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm just asking, you know, like like what you've seen. And and it sounds like um, that's the that's the vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. All right. Wow. So so they've been in this state of frozen conflict. And it sounds like everybody the uh, the conflict, the imminent threat posed by the Russian forces was normalized, so to speak. Would that would that be an accurate way of framing it? Yeah, all day, every day. And, you know, uh, it's not uh, this these past couple of months weren't the only time that uh, there have been major Russian troop buildups on the border. This was obviously the the largest and and, and we've seen what what has come of it. But, it's, it, you know, it's a dirty game that they've played for a while, like a kind of a boy who cried wolf type situation. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. That was how the Ukrainian people were feeling before the invasion. Now, what's the feeling on the ground? Like, do they feel optimistic about their country? Are they negative? Do they think, you know, the world's, like, the sky's going to fall down? Maybe a little bit of both. Like, what's, what are they feeling now? Um, again, first, first thing I got to say is everyone's an individual. There's 40 million people and 40 million reactions to this. Uh, roughly, you know, you know, a lot of people, uh, especially people with, you know, pets, children, uh, whatever, um, want to get out. You know, there's there's been uh, one million people displaced uh, in the past week. Wow. Which is which is absolutely massive. Uh, I, I think the UNHCR, the United Nations Refugee Agency, is expecting it to be as high as four um, in the foreseeable future, four million and so, obviously, people don't do that if they're not concerned. That's a that's a huge um, that's a huge indicator. Uh, but I, another huge indicator is how many people have joined what's called the territorial defense. Um, ton, mostly men, um, and I don't have an official statistic, but it's definitely within the tens of thousands of people have grabbed a Kalashnikov and are now digging trenches, putting putting up barricades, um, and rallying to defend the country. So. You have everything between, uh, you know, putting your pet in a cat carrier, grabbing as many of your possessions you could fit in a backpack and getting on a train uh, at, to, to Poland or, you know, digging, digging, digging trenches uh, at an intersection into Kiev. Wow. You've got a whole bunch of different reactions. And um, as far as optimism, I think in general, they are extre- Ukrainians, I mean, are extremely motivated and extremely prepared both both mentally uh and and increasingly uh logistically and, and physically uh to defend this place huh the, there's absolutely no question of of morale or determination i haven't heard any real doom saying or you know the russians are gonna you know we all gotta get out of here from anyone who's taken up arms to defend the place i i think you know you all, whenever you deal with the military, you know, young men, you know, with their testosterone and uniforms, they like to be like, you know, we <laughs> can push them all the way, all the way back to Moscow or whatever. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Which, okay, fine. 
you'll encounter that in any military, but I think in, in general, um, yeah, they're just like, we, they're not getting in here. Like they'll be shot at from every window. Uh, they'll be thrown at with, uh, they'll have Molotovs thrown at them by every, you know, by everyone. And, you know, we're not, we're not letting this happen basically is the, is the vibe. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, that's incredible. You know, we've, we've certainly noticed here in the United States that like the, the courage of the Ukrainians, everybody's taking note of, Zelensky and his rhetoric it's been absolutely courageous it's been i mean i to be frank with you like the the courage that the ukrainians have is it is awe inspiring i mean i i i can't imagine being in their situation and i know how lucky i am to you know live here in america and have the things that i have it it just makes me it it really tugs at your heartstrings to to see what the ukrainians are going through yeah, I mean they don't have another option, right? Like if they if they lose this, like they lose their homeland. Yep. It's not like an overseas, you know, America. All of our all of our fights have been overseas. It's for anyone anyone who's alive today can remember, and with with varying degrees of how existential those conflicts were to 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 our country. But this one, there's no gray area, right? It's like if you lose, like you're occupied die a foreign power period end of discussion even if even if you're not picking up a kalashnikov and doing that like all you know we were at a shipyard where all the uh dock workers were you know instead of repairing ships they were making uh steel tank traps um you know you go to restaurants and instead obviously all the restaurants are closed now because of martial law and instead the whole staff is there cooking gigantic cauldrons of soup to give to the soldiers and it's so wow yeah so people even if they're not grabbing a kalashnikov and digging a trench so you know everyone's kind of uh or not everyone uh, some many have fled but many many people have uh basically used whatever skill set they have and whatever resources they have to support the the effort just for anyone who doesn't know uh, what is a uh, kalashnikov oh it's a it's a i don't know what gun terms assault rifle assault weapon whatever it's a it's, it's a gun it's a gun. It's the Russian gun that, you know, it's like every gun you ever see in any photo of any conflict. It's, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know what it is, but some of my viewers might not. So I just want to, you know, make it clear for them or some of my listeners might not. It's a very common automatic firearm rifle thing. Gotcha. I'm not a gun. I'm not a gun nut. I don't know the terms. I'm not either. I just, I just, quite frankly, I recognize it from playing Call of Duty. That's the extent of my gun knowledge, which is pretty much zero. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. The Ukrainian government, they've, they've started handing out Kalashnikovs. Is that correct? And, and grenades? Uh, yeah. I know they've been handing out weapons. Um, I'm sure Kalashnikovs are part of that because I mean, it's the most manufactured weapon in history, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I mean, there's just, you know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. I mean, there's just thousands of these. They're everywhere. They're in Africa. They're in you know, Asia, everywhere. Um, but yes, basically, to answer your question, yes, the Ukrainian government has provided lethal weapons w- to uh, civilians who have uh, pledged to take up arms to defend the place. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So along that line, we know that the Ukrainians are you know, using Kalashnikovs and uh, Kalashnikovs are used everywhere. What kind of uh, weapons and uh, munition munitions have you seen the Russian troops using? Well, I've never had visual with Russians. Um, okay, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, these these things take place over over kilometers, and what I've seen the the impacts of are these things called Smirsh rockets. 
they're launched off the back of a vehicle. They're really big and they cause a ton of damage and they leave these uh, maybe 10 meter wide craters um, out in Donbass, out in the east. They're constantly lobbing in and they, and they have been for eight years, these little 82 millimeter mortars, um, 120 millimeter uh, munitions. Uh, I think they have Iskander rockets, which are also launched off the back of vehicles. Um, they've used cruise missiles here. And, you know, I don't see these things visually because they move really fast. And if you if you're close enough to see them, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> you see you see the impacts of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the courage that you guys have right now to actually have the balls of steel, quite frankly, to, to go up to these things and, you know, to document all this stuff. It's it's incredible. And yeah, no, I please don't get too close to that. Um, <laughs> don't. Yeah, totally. I don't want to die. No, I don't. I don't want you to die either, man. Okay, so have there been any air raids? Well, first question, uh, can, can you tell me where you are in, in Ukraine? Or, you know, do you, do you want to keep that? Kiev. Kiev? Okay. I'm in Kiev, yeah. Okay, so last I heard, um, there's been a massive Russian assault, days-long assault in that city. Has there been air raids? Yeah, you know... Again, I'm not a military man. I I, I see, you know, blast. Uh, it's just blasts and craters, and like I don't know if that was a missile launch from Belarus with the range to hit here, or if it was a plane or whatever. But um, definitely, uh, you know, the the Ukrainian government puts out air raid warnings, so I assume that means planes uh, are involved. But again, I just I just hear the booms and see the craters, and uh, I'm not in like the uh, radar room or whatever where they're where they're monitoring the origins of these munitions but uh i, I when they say the government says air raid i assume that means air raid <laughs> okay and when they do say air raid do you go to a bomb shelter or are the people safe in the bomb shelters that they're in have you have you seen anything like that well the big move is to go into the basements of the buildings and also the metro stations oh the metro stations here are, are really really deep uh really deep so that's where a lot of people are um, residing, frankly, um, with their pets and everything. Um, it's like little tent villages down in the metro stations, which is really sad, man. Like, you know, I was here for three weeks and made a lot of friends and like went on Tinder dates and all this stuff. And like, and now like, you know, all the friends I met either had to like flee or like they have to hide down here like an animal. And it's like, you know, uh, it's heartbreaking. This is, this could have been any either of us uh yeah or any anybody or anybody listening to this so yeah i, I you know for me there hasn't really been anything the first the for the first time last night the actual window shook but there hasn't been anything close enough to to this part of the city that i've actually been like all right i gotta get into the basement we did move our airbnb all the night before last because it was right next to um a building that's uh owned by the ukrainian state security service um the SBU. I don't know its official name. Its initials are SBU. Okay. And that's a target. So and that's a target. So we moved. Wow. But um, yeah. There was a um, there was a video circulating around. You know, I'm we're like we're talking about this. You know, in classes, we're like we're talking about this everywhere. There's a video circulating around of a um, Russian uh, missile just straight on annihilating this Ukrainian uh, government administration building. Oh, in Kharkiv. You're talking about in Kharkiv? I believe so. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 But it didn't annihilate the building. Uh, the build, it blew up a big chunk of it, if we're talking about the same thing. I'm sure we are, yeah. I mean, they, they, they bombed a lot of stuff, and especially Kharkiv. I, I wouldn't be in Kharkiv right now. 
Kharkiv is really getting slammed and it's, and, and kind of, um, it can't, sounds kind of sick and, uh, and deranged, but it's kind of how, how you have to think in these situations. It's smart to be in Kiev now because it's, it's going to be, they're going to be closer to taking other cities besides Kiev first. And it's, they're kind of canary in the coal mine, like see how they treat Kharkiv or Odessa or, or Mariupol and make a decision on when to flee Kiev based off of what happens to those cities. Right. Cause if they completely, cause the Russians so far have not been doing what they're capable of. Um, they've been fighting pretty poorly in general. Their logistics have been really bad. Um, you know, they had 200,000 guys on the border for months and, and, and they were, they were hoping on taking the capital in two or three days. And there's no, there's just nowhere they're nowhere near those objectives. Wow. Um, but what the Russian military is capable of, and which they haven't been doing, is just totally flattening civilian centers. They did that in Chechnya. They did it in Syria. And that's my principal fear for this place. So, you know, it, it's great that the Ukrainians are defending so well. It's great that the Ukrainians are doing better than anyone expected and the Russians are doing worse than anyone expected. That is, that's great. But... It's scary because if the Russians get frustrated and they just want this thing to be over, punish Ukraine for humiliating them, then that's what they do. They flatten cities. They murder civilians by the thousands. They, you know, they've done it. They're continuing to do it in Syria. Uh, and um, it's, it's a real source of concern for me, to be frank. Wow. So tell me more about the Russian logistical failure, how the Russian army went in all high and mighty, and then they failed to capture their objectives. They have logistical failures. Um, there, there's also been reports of, and, and videos, um, of Russian soldiers raiding markets, raiding stores for food because the supply lines are shot. Um, and then most recently, uh, there's been a lot of talk about a uh, convoy that's like a few miles long that's just stuck there, um, I believe around 15 miles from Kiev. Yeah. Do you know uh, anything about that? Yeah. Uh, well, first, let me say that I'm not uh, an intelligence official and I'm not a, and I'm not a, a military man. I, I don't expect you to be, man. I... Yeah. So this is all just kind of me. Hearsay. Yeah, going by the news. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's the social media presence in this war has been really extensive. You know, we've all watched the TikTok videos of uh, the troop buildup for months now, and we're and now we're watching, you know, Ukrainian farmers carting off BTRs and tanks that have run out of fuel and that have been abandoned or whatever by by Russian military. And um, you know, I am not I am not in the room when the Russian military decides uh, who to fuel, when to fuel, blah blah blah. But it seems like. They didn't do a particularly good job. And this convoy that is is supposed to arrive in Kiev and and that's a source of concern. I'm sure. As the British and US uh, intelligence has said that they've stalled and, and I think today even said that it's stalled indefinitely. And British and US, again, like countries intelligence get stuff wrong all the time. US and British intelligence get stuff wrong all the time. But when this situation, and for the past few months, they've been pretty good. They've been pretty accurate. And um, it'd be great if uh, this, this this convoy is just, you know, stuck there. And and it's if they're stuck there, they're sitting ducks and the Ukrainians are going to light it up. And it's not it's not a 
the long, every single minute that the Russians aren't in Kiev is a minute that the Ukrainians prepare more. You know, that's true. That's true. Every second is another is another second for the trenches to get deeper, for the barricades to get higher, for the weapons to get to the front. And you know, good. You know, it's yeah. Keep them out. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I agree. The you know the Russians chose this war. Like I was thinking about it earlier. They chose. They knew totally that this was going to happen. They knew that these innocent people were going to be slaughtered. Yeah. They knew it, and they did it anyway. They did it anyway. And that's not to say, um, you know, countries do that. Governments do that. It's important to remember that governments aren't their people, that uh, plenty of Russian uh, people are opposed to this. and Absolutely, yes. Plenty of Russian people are the, are the, are the first victims of, of their government. And it's important to remember that... Uh, no, no country in the world, least of all uh, America, is innocent of of wrongdoing uh, at some point, and especially in the case of America, intelligence failures. And I think that the Russians seem uh, seem to have uh, totally underestimated what they were getting into. I, th- I think they thought they thought it would be a given that they could roll in here with relative ease, and it's I, it's turning out to be a big nightmare for them when they i mean if they actually get into keep they're gonna they're gonna have a really bad time yeah wow you so have you just curious and last question about the russians but have you seen any of these um abandoned you know russian military vehicles that have supposedly run out of gas or have you seen anything like that? No, that's not in Kiev. That's that's up. Okay. Yeah, that's that's in other more, other regions where the military is active in, in villages. You know, the the only major city that they've captured, which they captured it very recently today, was Kherson. But all the major cities are still in Ukrainian hands. The the like when you look at a map, uh, all the places that are colored in Russian are. I mean, they're roads and small villages, and that's where um, those TikTok videos and everything are coming out of. Gotcha. That that makes sense. Um, now let's switch gears here. I am uh, Orthodox Christian, Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. This region is very close to my heart. I wanted to ask you: Are the churches okay? Uh, how how is the people's faith holding out? Um, I don't know too much about that, other than a couple times that I've asked for portraits from you know the, the stereotypical babushka, Eastern European with uh, elderly woman with the with the Neck, or the kerchief over her head. A couple times I've asked to take their portraits. They've held up religious icons. You know, I haven't had. I've been having conversations with um, with them about that specifically. Uh, every church I've seen has been undamaged. I did hear that the uh, Russians have hit one in Kharkiv. God, again, that's. I, I've just heard that. I I'm not going to confirm it. Yeah, it should be easy enough to confirm online if if you want to. Um, but yeah, I mean. Especially the older generation here, especially the older women, are, are seem to be pretty religious. But I can't tell you I've been having a whole lot of conversations about that. I um I understand. Yeah, it's just it. It's uh. And, and you know, uh, a couple years ago, I could, I want to say three or four years ago, you know the um, I guess he's the ecumenical patriarch is in Constantinople is operating out of Istanbul. He, he, he granted autocephaly to the Ukrainian Orthodox church. So is no longer part of the same part, part of Orthodox Christianity that the Russians were. So that was a huge sticking point for the Russians diplomatically. I want to say that was three or four years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah, from what I know, um, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church is independent of the Russian Orthodox Church. Obviously, I like from what I know, th- they still have the truth. But this isn't a religious podcast. Um, I'm like people can look that up on their own. But uh, yeah, I, I did I did hear something about that as well. Actually, just a few days ago when I was looking it up. So yeah, I remember I, I remember being a snafu when the Russians weren't happy about it. But um, yeah, that's I could I couldn't speak from a position of expertise on that topic. Yeah, yeah, neither could I, neither could I. Okay, okay, so my my last question is about the evacuation. So you said earlier that people are fleeing the country. Have you seen, what are, the, what are some of the things you've seen in this refugee crisis from Ukraine into Europe? Well, I haven't, I haven't followed the trains out to the border. I've just seen it from Kiev, but the train stations in, in Kiev have been just utterly uh what's the word um i mean it's really soul crushing it's 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 sad it's it's people leaving their whole lives behind um and 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 desperation and sorrow and you know uncertainty about their future um i don't want to say panic it hasn't it hasn't been like violent or anything um but just huge crowds of people trying to flood onto these trains and that can't get out fast enough and you know, the traffic was for the first couple of days, all the westbound traffic was just completely gridlocked. And uh, yeah, it's really sad. I haven't, you know, like I said, I haven't followed them west. So I haven't gotten to Lviv, which is a west, the largest west city, western city. It's regarded as really safe. And I haven't gotten to the EU borders because they mostly head to Poland, Slovakia, Romania. Um, I think they, I think some have headed into Moldova. But yeah, I can only talk about talk about what I've seen in Kiev. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's really it's horrible and 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 like i said it's you know whether whether these are ukrainians or syrians or whatever the case may be you know it, it could happen to any of us it, it could have happened to any of us it's no nobody chooses to be a refugee there's nothing fun about it and uh i hope i hope everyone stays safe and can come back as soon as possible absolutely yeah yeah we are we're all praying for the Ukrainians all around the world. And you're absolutely right. Nobody chooses to be a refugee. Nobody chooses to, you know, go through the hell, the hell that they're going through right now. Actually, I, I, did, I did have one more question. In Kiev, is it mostly military fighting or is there equal amounts of, you know, citizens and, and, and military on the defense lines against the, against the Russian forces? I don't know the answer to that. And I wouldn't know how to answer it basic, based off of how, like, in terms of personnel. I wouldn't know in terms of how many people are involved in active engagements. I wouldn't know the answer. Here's a better question: Have you seen many many young young men fighting, or is it or is it mostly adults? Like, are the are there teenagers fighting? Is that is that really a thing? No, I haven't seen anyone who I I took a you know I haven't been asking people for their IDs. It's the other way around, but um, I haven't seen anyone where I'm like, whoa, that guy looks too young. I haven't seen that. Like it's, it's, you know, everyone who's like younger than me, I'm 32. So it's, you know, even an 18 year old kid or a 20 year old kid with a gun, uh, still, they look young to me. I remember growing up as a kid, they are they're like adults, but now I look at them, I'm like, Oh my God. And then you got, you know, guys with gray mustaches, you know, the whole gamut, but I haven't seen anyone where I'm like, Whoa, that guy doesn't belong in a war. That guy should be on the train as a, as a minor. 
I haven't seen anyone like that yet. Okay, okay, that that's that's reassuring. Uh, a lot of people were concerned about you know child soldiers, as you usually see in you know a lot of these horrible, desperate conflicts. But it's good to know that you have not been seeing any of that. Yeah, at least not yet. And I pray that you never do. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, haven't seen it. Okay. Okay. Um, well, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, is there anything anything else that you like to say? Any any last uh, last comments? Um, yeah, I think uh, unlike one thing that just really stands out about this conflict to me, and this is this is just personal. Unlike Iraq and Syria, I, I had gone into those places when they were already in conflict. You know, I I, I had not not let me. Underline and clarify, saying conflict does not belong in those countries any more than it belongs here. Uh, conflict does not belong in the Middle East any more than it belongs in Europe. Um, but I did go into those situations in the context of an ongoing conflict. Here in Kiev, I was here for the beginning of it, and the the shock of it was like was incredible. It was like turning on a light switch. You know, the the day before the bars were packed, everyone was, you know, at the supermarket, going on dates, bringing their kids to school, whatever the case may be. And it, and it, and it turned on a dime. You woke up in a different world and just just everybody should remember, count their lucky stars because it it can happen. Um, it can happen. And it's it's horrible. And, and, and just remember that. uh that nightmare scenario that you hope never happens to to you just happened to 40 million Ukrainians. And wow, I want everyone who's listening to remember that. Okay, well now they will. Now they will. And uh, yep. thank you so much for everything you do. Uh, you know the courage that you have. May may God bless you and may He watch over you. Uh, may you continue to be the eyes of the world for this conflict. And it's just uh, it's it's incredible. It's incredible the work that that you're doing, sir. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I appreciate that, man, and uh, enjoy talking to you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. I think that it should be said that journalists like Alex Lurie and many, many others in Ukraine have been keeping the world informed in an age where most legacy media outlets are just out to push a narrative and an agenda that none of us really enjoy. We have to worry about bias and slant all the time in the news, and with independent, courageous journalists such as Alex Lurie, we can rely on them to bring us the truth as it really is through the lens of their camera, which, as I said earlier, is truly the eyes of the world right now. The war in Ukraine is only intensifying, and my heart goes out to everyone over there, especially the innocent people who are caught in this bloody bloody conflict. If you'd like to support Alex, please follow him on Instagram. The link will be in the podcast description, and you should also check out his website, which will also be in the podcast description. If you'd like to support this show, you can purchase a subscription to Surfshark VPN and secure your internet from prying eyes. You can't afford not to protect yourself in this day and age, but you can afford Surfshark VPN with my special deal of 82% off plus two free months. So you really don't lose anything. I mean, it's two free months starting your subscription. So seriously, check it out if you want to support the show and check out 
Alex's Instagram and website if you would like to see his amazing work. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, your family. It's available anywhere podcasts are streamed. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. And you can even ask your Amazon Alexa to play it. You just say, hey, Alexa, play a more perfect podcast hosted by Dylan, and she will. It's, it's really freaking cool. And as always, have a more perfect day.